We are uh, in the middle of a series right now called Follow, Committed to Discipleship, and it's part of our overarching theme for the year about being committed. And we're saying that in response to the God who committed all to our salvation, we commit all to Him, to His glory, to His cause, and to his people. And so we're talking about discipleship. What does that mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we're looking at Matthew's gospel account and this picture that Matthew is painting for us about who Jesus is and that it's worth it to follow him. We, we looked the first week at Matthew chapter 4. You remember we were talking about Peter and Andrew and James and John, these fishermen who were just doing life as, as usual, business as usual. They were doing what fishermen do. They were fishing. They were mending their nets. They were casting their nets. They were sitting in their boat. They were with their father. And when Jesus said, follow me, they left their nets and they followed him. And so we challenged ourselves to think about what are our nets? What is business as usual? What is the normal, everyday, just run-of-the-mill life that we've left behind in order to follow Jesus? And then last week, as we went on through the gospel accounts, we looked at Matthew chapter 8, and we talked about how there are no part-time disciples. There is no such thing as a part-time disciple. You don't get to have one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat. you got to decide. Am I going to stay here Life is normal. Am I going to do life just like everybody else is doing life and be just a normal, everyday, average kind of person and live as if the Son of God hadn't come into the world and did everything that he did and as if he wasn't coming back? Am I just going to stand here on the dock or am I going to put both feet in the boat? Because this standing one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat, it just doesn't work. This foot, this, this idea that you can just have one foot following Jesus and one foot living a normal everyday life, it just doesn't work. And when we see Jesus for who he is, when we understand what he's calling us to, the life he's calling us to, and we say, I want to follow him, we realize that discipleship is an all-in kind of a thing where we say, I'm not going to stay where I was. I'm not going to live the life that I was living. I'm going to commit everything to following Jesus. And so I want to pick up where we left off last week in Matthew chapter 8. So if you got your Bible, Matthew chapter 8, but one of the stories that we read there in that chapter is about this storm. You remember, it's another boat story. And so you've got Jesus and his apostles, and they're in this boat, and Jesus is doing what? He's sleeping, right? I mean, he's just sleeping, but there's a storm going on. There's waves, and there's there's uh, rain, and there, there, the, the wind, and, and the disciples are are terrified. And they wake Jesus up, don't you care? We're going to die, we're all going to die. I mean, they're just just totally, totally afraid. And Jesus wakes up and he does what? He rebukes the wind and the wave. I mean, who does that? Who rebukes wind and wave? Who says, stop it? And they stop. And the winds and the waves, they're still. But, but think about the words that Jesus said to his disciples when they were afraid. Look at what he says. He says, Verse 26, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Now, I know this is in the context of this story about the winds and the waves and the storm and the boat, but I want you to etch that in your memory as we go throughout the rest of today's lesson and as we go throughout our life, that this is the life that he's calling us to and asking us, why are you afraid? If you know who I am, 
If you know what I've come to do, if you know what I'm capable of, if you know the authority that I have, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? And then they ask the question after the storm dies down. They ask the question, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And then as we go throughout chapter 8, he heals two men who are demon-possessed. And then in chapter 9, he heals a paralytic. And he claims to have the authority even to forgive sins. And as we keep reading, he, he has more run-ins with the Pharisees. And, and that conflict begins to rise. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Matthew 9 and verse 14. Something happens here that I think is incredibly important to understand what we're being called to. Because church, listen, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at what Jesus says about discipleship that is the most challenging part of being a follower of Jesus. And I'm afraid it's a part that we've watered down and we've kind of turned into a metaphor and we say, well, that doesn't really apply to us because we live in 21st century America, but it does apply to us. And it's incredibly challenging. And I think all of this that, that is setting the stage is important. So keep in mind, what he says, oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? And listen to what happens here. The disciples of John, John the baptizer, right? So John's going around and John has some disciples too. And they come to Jesus and they say, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Why, why do we all do this and you don't do this? Why do your disciples not do this? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast, which, by the way, that, that's a good reason we ought to be fasting, but that's a whole nother, I won't get into that now, okay? So uh, go have lunch. But, uh, but, but so, so Jesus says, listen, something is happening right now. The bridegroom is here. Now's not a time for fasting. Now's a time for feasting. The Son of Man, the Son of God, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, has shown up. And, and now is the time for feasting, not fasting. But the big question here is, why do your disciples not do things the way everybody else does things? Why don't you do things the way other religious teachers and other religious leaders do things? Why are you doing things differently? Why don't you keep our traditions? Why aren't you doing things in the old way? Why are you coming along doing something different and living kind of different and acting different? Why are your disciples different than everybody else? And listen to what he says. Listen to these parables. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. When I was a kid, you know, I, I used to get holes in my, in my jeans, and I guess that was cool, before it was cool to have holes in your jeans. But, uh, so I, and, and then my mom would either cut them off into shorts, you remember that, or, uh, or she'd, she'd sew a patch on there, and I hated that. That was, you know, I didn't like that. But, uh, so she'd sew a patch on there. So Jesus is saying, listen, you can't take a new piece of material and sew it on an old piece of material. Why? Because the result is going to be even, what's the word he uses? Worse, right? The tear is going to be worse. It would be better off if you didn't try to sew it on at all. But if you try to take this new thing and sew it on to the old thing, it's going to make the situation even worse than it was before. And then he tells another parable, another metaphor. He says, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. 
If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. You see? You can't take the new and put it in with the old. If you do, you make the situation what? Worse. You make it worse. It'd be better if you don't do it at all. You can't take the new and just attach it to the old or pour it into the old. He says, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. See what he's saying? You just can't take my teachings and sew them on to the old life. You just can't take me and pour me into the old form because if you do, you're going to make the situation even what? Worse, right? And I'm afraid that's what we tend to do with Jesus, isn't it? We tend to take Jesus' teachings or even Christianity and we tend to just try to sew them onto the old life. We tend to just try to pour it into the old life. Like it's just a, a bit of fresh information, a little bit of good stuff, and we'll just add it. Like you add a little bit of sweetener to your tea, right? Just make it better. And we say things all the time like, you've got a God-shaped hole in your life and you need Jesus to fill it. And we act like our life just needs to be patched a little bit. Like we could take Jesus and we just put him like a patch on that tear in your life or, or like a new bit of wine and pour him into the old. And Jesus says, if you try to do that, if you try to fit me into the old system as Israel, if you try to take me and just make me another one of your teachers and just pour me into what's already been going on or just sew me on to what's already been going on, the tear is going to be even worse. The, the wineskins are going to burst. It doesn't work that way. You've got to take the new and pour it into something new. If you want to receive what I'm bringing, you've got to become something new. You can't just take your old life and sow Jesus onto it. You can't just take your old life and pour a little bit of Jesus into it. If you want to be a part of what Jesus is doing, because what Jesus is doing is brand new, He's ushering in a new era of Israel. He's ushering in a new era of humanity. He's creating a new kind of people. And if you want to receive what Jesus is bringing, you can't just sow it onto your old life. You can't just pour it into your old life. You have to become new in order to receive what Jesus is bringing. Don't we remember what Jesus says to Nicodemus? I mean, Nicodemus, I mean, he's got a good life. He's a leader. He's a teacher. He, he shows up to Jesus and he says, okay, you know, we know you're a teacher. Tell us a little bit about what you're bringing. And what does Jesus tell him? In order to be a part of what I'm doing, you've got to be born again. You've got to start over. You've got to become brand new. Because you can't take the old life and the old world and the way things have always been. You can't just assume I'm just a new teacher and you just add a little bit of me to your life and it'll get better. But church, I'm afraid that's the way we try to evangelize, isn't it? That's what, the way we try to spread Christianity is we try to say, say to people, hey, you've got a good thing going on and things are going pretty well. You just need to add a little bit of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Discipleship is an all-in kind of thing. It's about dying to the old life and saying, I want to become totally new in order to receive this new life that Jesus is bringing. Jesus is bringing a new era in Israel and Jesus is bringing a new era in the world and Jesus is bringing a new era to us personally. But in order to receive it, we've got to become new wineskins. 
We can't keep the old wineskins and just try to pour Jesus into it. we got to throw away the old garment and put on a new garment because you can't just attach him to the old life. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 18. While he was saying these things, verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. You see, there were people that recognized that Jesus is who he said he is and that he has the authority over everything and that he can do what he says he can do and that he is the life bringer. This man doesn't just say, my daughter is sick and you can heal her. He says, she's died. And when she breathed her last breath, first thing I did was run to get you because I know if you come and you lay your hand on her, she will live again. See, Jesus has come to bring something brand new, something the world has never seen before. And even while Jesus is going with this man to go and to heal and to raise his daughter, uh, another woman is healed who suffered with blood for 12 years. But let's pick up at verse 23. When Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went through all that district. You see, that's what Jesus is bringing. That's what Jesus offers to all of us, is life. That even though we die, yet shall we, what? Live, right? That that he can say about all of his people and all of those who put their faith in him, they're not dead, they're just sleeping. And that there will be a day when those who have fallen asleep in the Lord will be resurrected. This is what Jesus is bringing. He's saying all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of God's promises, all of the things that he said were going to come to fruition are coming to fruition in me. And you got to leave the old behind. And you got to put your faith completely and totally in me because I am the king, I am God in the flesh, I am the life bringer, I am the life restorer, I am the healer. He says, or he goes on from there to heal two blind men, uh, then he heals a man who cannot speak, and then later on he sends his disciples out, he takes 12 disciples, a disciple is somebody who follows, right? a follower, and then he makes them into apostles. An apostle means somebody who is sent out. And so he takes these 12 disciples, these 12 followers, and he sends them out. And he sends them out, listen to this, with the authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Something tremendous is happening. And if you want to be a part of it, you got to throw away the old garment. If you want to be a part of it, you've got to throw away the old wineskin. If you want to be a part of it, you've got to drop your nets and come and follow him. Matthew chapter 10. Look at that with me. Verse 21. Matthew 10 and verse 21. Now, he tells them, this is what you've got to expect. Because the world is in darkness. The world is in darkness, and Jesus is the light bringer. And those that are in the darkness and love the darkness, they're going to hate the light, Right? And I'm the light bringer. And if you follow me, you're going to be the light of the world. And they're going to hate you as well. And as you bring the light, and as you preach the truth, and as you proclaim the good news that there's a, a new king of the world, and that he heals and forgives 
that there's a new way of living and that the old is gone and the new has come. There's going to be people that hate you. They love the old garment. They love the old wineskins. They love the old ways of doing things. And they're going to hate you and despise you. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. Church, it's not a metaphor. This is literally, Jesus is telling them, this is what you can expect. This is what is going to happen. And we know this is what did happen, right? And this is what is still happening. Brother, deliver his own brother to death. And even a father, his child, children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my namesake. And can you imagine? This is what still is happening throughout the world. Somebody says, I want to follow Jesus. I, I understand that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. That He's going to forgive me of my sins and He's going to raise me from the dead and I have a new life in Him. And mom and dad, I've chosen to be a follower of Jesus. And not only do they say, get out. You're no longer a part of our family. But sometimes they even turn their own children over to death. And Jesus says, Jesus says this is what's going to happen. Brother's going to turn against brother. Parents are going to turn against their children. Children are going to turn against their parents. And you'll be hated because of me. But listen to what he says here. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We'll be saved? You just said we're going to die. How are we going to be saved? Resurrection, right? That's what the whole story's always been about. It's about resurrection. And if you endure to the end, if you're faithful to the end, as John puts it in Revelation... If you're faithful unto death, Jesus will give you the crown of life. If you endure to the end, you will be saved. Now, I know it's really easy for us when we talk about persecution and we talk about uh, being martyred for, for being Christians, we think, well, Wes, that doesn't apply to us. We live in 21st century America. That's not our story. We don't have to worry about that kind of thing. But church, I'm afraid that by pushing that aside and saying that very thing, by saying, I don't have to worry about that. That doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't live in that part of the world, or I didn't live at that time in the first century. Our, our time is better. Our country's better. We don't have to worry about that. By pushing that to the side, we've pushed aside a fundamental of following Jesus. We've pushed aside something that should be at the very base of following Jesus, of what it means to be a disciple. This applies to us more than we can possibly imagine. Just hang with me, and I'll show you how that's true. And so he goes on to say, like in verse 26, he says, don't, don't fear them, right? Same kind of thing with the, the winds and the waves and the storm, only that was a little test, right? It's one thing to say, I'm not afraid of a storm. It's another thing to say, I'm not afraid of a man with a sword, with Roman soldiers with a cross and some nails and a hammer, have no fear of them. They can kill your body, yes, but they, they can't destroy your body and soul. You're going to be saved if you endure, if you endure, if you're willing to walk with me into this, if you're willing to put away the old life, if you're willing to throw away the old garment and the old wineskin, if you're willing to be made new and receive my teaching and receive the era that I'm bringing in, you will be saved. If you hang with me 
and you walk with me, and you trust me, and you follow me, even to the point of death, you will be saved. Verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. That had to be a way confusing thing, right? I mean... Here's Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. We just kind of went through that section, right? He'd gone up on the mountain and he taught people, hey, somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn, let him slap the other cheek. When somebody persecutes you, you, you should feel like you're blessed. When somebody persecutes you and hurts you and hates you and despises you, you should love them and bless them and pray for them. So there is a sense in which Jesus came to bring peace, but he's saying that in reality. Not, not just out there, not just with the government, not just with, with the civil leaders, but even in your own families. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be violence. There's going to be death. They're going to hate you, and they're going to turn you over to die. Do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. I mean, it's one thing, isn't it? For the world to hate you, for the government to hate you, for even laws to be passed that say you can't do this, or you can't do that, or if you worship God or you follow Jesus, then you'll be killed or imprisoned, but it's another thing for your own parents, your own children or your in-laws or your brother or your sister to hate you and to turn you over to death. And he says, this is what is coming. But he says, look at verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And, and here's the part I really want us to focus on. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Church, we, we have so just made this a metaphor, haven't we? And we've just said, well, you know, uh, take up your cross and follow me. That just means do hard stuff for God. No. If you were listening to that, you knew what a cross was. His, his followers knew what a cross was. They knew that in the Roman Empire, if somebody rose up and said, hey, we're going to rebel against the old system and we're going to do things in a new way and there's a new king in town or a new leader in town, that that leader and all of his followers were, were made an example of. Not, not just killed, but they were taken and put on a cross and nailed to that piece of wood and they were lifted up for everybody to see and for days and days and days and days they would hang there and die so that Rome could say see this is what happens when you rise up against me this is what happens when you rise up and you rebel and so when Jesus says listen if you're going to follow me this is what's going to happen you're going to have to take up your instrument of execution and follow me. It's not a metaphor, it's literal. You're going to have to embrace martyrdom. If you're going to follow me, this might very well literally be your fate. Do you love me more than your mother? 
more than your father? Do you love me more than your wife? Do you love me more than your children? The primary question, do you love me more than your life? Do you trust me that if you follow me even unto death, I will raise you up and you will live again? Do you believe? Do you trust me? Do you have faith? Are you willing to take up your cross and follow me? And then he goes on to say, for Whoever finds his life will lose it. Do you see? If that's your pursuit, if your pursuit is to hang on to your life and protect your life and to find your life, you lose it. You forfeit it. The only way to live, the only way to live forever, the only way to find your life is to lose it for my sake. Whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. A Jesus follower, a disciple of Christ, must embrace martyrdom. Let's talk about that for a second. What does it mean to be a martyr? What what is a martyr? Literally, the word comes from a Greek word that means witness. It's somebody that gives a testimony that says, this is true. This is true. And in our case, our testimony is Jesus really is the Son of God. Jesus really is Emmanuel. Jesus really is the Savior. Jesus really is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus really did offer his blood as an atoning sacrifice. Jesus really did raise from the dead. Jesus really will raise us from the dead. That's our testimony. And a martyr became somebody who said, I would rather die then recant my testimony. A martyr is somebody who dies because they won't recant their testimony. And for centuries, Christians were forced to recant their testimony, to go back on what they're saying about Jesus. The Romans would love to take people and say, now listen, all you got to do is bow down to this idol. All you have to do is offer a bit of incense to Caesar. All you have to do is say Jesus really isn't the Son of God. And the martyrs were those that said, I would rather die then recant my testimony. I believe that Jesus really is the one who can raise me from the dead. I believe that Jesus really is the one who has the authority to forgive sins. I believe that Jesus really is the light bringer and the life bringer and the restorer of life. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and I would rather die than recant my testimony. And church, this is a fundamental part of being a disciple of Jesus. A disciple must embrace martyrdom. A disciple must embrace this as our fate to say, I would rather die than recant my testimony. Now, we might not have to actually experience martyrdom, but imagine how it changes everything when we go ahead and surrender our life. When we go ahead and say, I don't have anything to fear because I already accept this is my fate. And then if following Jesus requires us to give up something, like our money or our stuff or our time or our energy, if following Jesus requires us to, to sacrifice something, that's okay. I've already died with Jesus. I'm already a martyr. I've already staked my claim that I would rather die then recant my testimony. I would rather die than go back on my belief that Jesus really is who he says he is. We embrace martyrdom. We go ahead and surrender our life. 
I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, so said the Apostle Paul. Are we willing to embrace that? Not to push it off as a metaphor and just say, yeah, well, because listen, church, I've, I've heard Christian people say things like, I hope I never have to face that because I'm not sure how I would respond. I hope I'm never put in a situation where, where it's either renounce Jesus or die because I'm not sure how I would respond. Whoa, stop. Because that's a fundamental part of being a disciple of Jesus. This is what it is to take the feet off the dock and to put both feet in the boat and to say, I'm with Jesus. I believe he raises the dead. And I believe that if I put my faith in him and follow him, I will live forever with him. And so I'm not afraid to love my enemies. I'm not afraid to pray for those who persecute me. I'm not afraid to live as a new kind of human being because I've already thrown away the old life. I've already thrown away the old garment. I've already thrown away the old wineskin. I have become something new in order to receive something new. And now I'm living as someone new. And in order to do that, we must embrace martyrdom as our fate. To say, I would rather die than to recant my testimony. Are we willing to do that? That's what we said when we were baptized, isn't it? That's what we were saying when we said, I want to die and be buried with Jesus in baptism, to be raised up to walk in newness of life. I want to become new so that I can receive the newness that Jesus is offering and bringing. But sometimes we get afraid, don't we? The storms kind of rise up, the, the winds and the waves, they get kind of rocky and we get kind of afraid and we need to be reminded of Jesus' words, why are you afraid, oh you of little faith? Let us have our faith restored. Let us have our testimony restored to say, I would rather die than recant my testimony because I truly believe that he is who he says he is and I will literally take my cross and follow him. I will accept that and embrace that as my fate because I have died with Jesus and I do live and will live forever. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that needs to make that commitment for the first time or maybe you need to recommit your life to Jesus or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. In a minute, some of our shepherds will meet in my office in the back and they'd love to meet with you and pray with you, encourage you or right now as we sing the song, you can come forward as we stand and sing.